Hey, as you are sitting, can I ask you to turn to someone next to you you didn't come with? Before you say hi, put a smile on your face. Don't say, uh, happy to see you. Right? It's, um, make your face say what you are saying. So turn to someone and say, I am happy to see you. Give them a fist bump. Someone next to you, would you, with a smile? We are so happy to see all of you and um, to worship together. Uh, as um, we are coming up to Easter, and this is an opportunity for us to share uh, our faith. And so back to church Sunday next week. So we're going to have a, a blessed worship here and then a fun barbecue. We're, we're recruiting a bunch of guys to grill, and um, we're going to take this whole place like a big family barbecue. And uh, we want to invite our friends, our neighbors, uh, maybe someone that was in your community group three years ago that's maybe not going to church, um, and uh, we want to say, hey, come out, right? And I want you to uh, help us in that. And uh, there's going to be some fun things for the kids. They have like a train ride and all, all sorts of stuff that's planned. Because we all always do a lot of fun stuff on Easter, but we say, let's do it even the week before. And so uh, we're looking forward to the next couple of weeks. And so if we could ask you to do that, uh, that would be great. Um, you know, uh, in this passage that we read, there is a particular tree that is mentioned. And uh, uh, I don't know about you, but kind of the, as, a, as time goes on and the older I get, I start appreciating things like trees and flowers. And uh, I'll pause and point to it. And, oh, and I'll say, Ashley, look at that tree. Look at that. It's beautiful. And she's like, come on, Dad. You're just getting old, right? And maybe it is, but uh, you notice things like that. And there is one particular tree that's mentioned in the story, and we're going to go through this whole story. It's called the terebinth tree. And there's a little picture of a terebinth tree. It's a very inviting tree, isn't it? Um, it's full. It provides a lot of shade. It looks very stable. If you were out in the wilderness or in the desert and you found a terebinth tree, you'd want to go sit under it. You'd want to go lean against it. You, if you were to camp, you would want to camp adjacent to it. You would want to tie things uh, around it if you had to. And here in the Bible, uh, the terebinth tree is mentioned. And, you know, it's interesting because the, the Bible mentions trees next to God and people, the third most out of all living things, more than any animal or other creature. Trees are mentioned. And trees give us kind of a landmark. Trees show us the stability of something, the growth. This is the tree. And in this passage, we see a tree is mentioned, the terebinth is mentioned. Throughout the Bible, Genesis 1, the first page of the Bible starts with a tree. The first psalm starts with a tree. The last page of the Bible in Revelation talks about a tree. And in between, there are references to trees all throughout. And the tree kind of shows us this is the stability. This is the uh, place where I was. Sometimes when we were young, you know, we would often maybe mark our initials on it or something like that, and you could still see it as it's scarred into the trees. This is a, a landmark. This is a point in my life. And um, here in our text today, the tree is mentioned. The tree, actually, there are two trees mentioned. And in both instances, it's a, a significant place. There's a scene in one of my favorite movies in Shawshank Redemption, right? When Red gets out and he goes and finds this particular tree and where no one is around and underneath it would be a box that his friend had left him and he goes and he sits under this huge tree. 
And he finds money in a letter saying, come meet me down here. And it is the tree uh, that represents all these things. And really, it's a picture of God's faithfulness to us. And so I'm going to talk about the tree, talk about God, and back and forth and back and forth today. And we see the, the faithfulness, the kindness, um, the presence, the sanctification of God and His steadfastness, fourthly. And we see all of those things here. Um, when we look at this story, um, we see here, this is kind of the highlight or the pinnacle of the story of Jacob. As we have been going through Jacob, there is not much about Jacob to emulate. So I cannot formulate a sermon saying, oh, let's copy Jacob. Let's learn from Jacob's life because there isn't much. He was a deceiver, a swindler. He lied. Um, he was fearful. Um, in the previous chapter, he was part of, you know, he murdered. I mean, it was just a lot of things that you look upon it and you say, wow, there is not much to emulate. But what we do see is the faithfulness of God. We see God in Jacob's life. And so when we read Jacob, we say, that, that's more like us. That's more like me. There is not much goodness in me, but there is such goodness in God. And we now tend to see God. In this passage here, God appears to him again. This is the third time. God appears to him and he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel meaning one who struggles with God. For when he had wrestled with God. He changes his name to Israel. He's going to now be the father of Israel, the nation. Uh, it would be a, The name will describe the rocky relationship of him and his people all the way to us. That he would have to struggle with his people because of our faithlessness often. Not only that, it is a personally a very difficult time for Jacob. He had now just buried his uh, lifelong servant, nurse, Rebecca. He ends up burying Rachel, the love of his life. He ends up burying his own father. And so this is the worst of times for him. And yet at this time, God meets him. God approaches him. And in it, he now changes him. And when we look at this story, before he goes back, Bethel was the place, the house of God, Bethel, the house of God, where he had met God before he went to go and find his wife. 20 years ago plus, 20 plus years ago. And now God says, go back to Bethel, go back to that place and dwell in that land. He's coming back home. He's making kind of a, a full circle. He's maturing in this way. And he is going to go back home. And on his return home, we see this tree, the terebinth, a picture of maybe God, we can say. Um, and we see four truths about God in this. You know, I was going through this and there was so much here. But the first thing that struck out to me is that God is kind to us. The kindness of God. You cannot overlook kindness. God is so good. God is so kind. Just the fact that God reached out to him again. In verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make a, an altar there to the God who appeared to you. The, the, when God says, and he hears that familiar voice, can you imagine how his heart must have just jumped? Because he hasn't been living the most faithful life. He is not the strongest of believers. 
And he had just seen this mass murder happen in the previous chapter, and he's living in this guilt. And it is at that point God shows his kindness to him. Again, if I were God or you were God, I'd say, you know what, you're done. It's been long enough. It's been many years. You're done. You go do something else. I'll go find somebody else that could do better than you. But God meets him here. God shows his kindness. It comes back to him. We see this kindness. His life was filled with deception, doubt, pride, and even his own sons ended up murdering a group of people in, uh, in the previous chapter. And yet God shows up to him. This is the grace of God. This is what the, the good news of the gospel is. And Sometimes you are walking with God. You're reading your Bible. You're excited to worship God. And some of you are here today. Some of you are logging and say, I'm excited I love God. I feel so connected to God, which is a blessing. But a lot of times we do not feel connected and we don't feel so spiritual. And we come out of duty or we come because so-and-so might see me or might not see me. We come because, well, my wife likes it or my kid likes it or, or maybe I just need to go meet my buddy there. And we might come and we might not feel so spiritual, but yet God is still there. God is kind to us. Kindness is powerful. Kindness is very underrated. So the more we read about God's kindness to us, it impacts us. Kindness, uh, some have said it releases the, what's called a love hormone. Oxytocin is released. Right? The love hormone. They say if you do an act of kindness, you feel good about it. Right? Sometimes you go volunteer, you help someone, and you feel pretty good about it. That's oxytocin. Even if you receive kindness from someone, you feel pretty good about it. They say even if you witness an act of kindness, you get a little dose of oxygen, you feel pretty good. One of the stories I like to watch regularly every week that comes out is uh, the Steve Hartman stories, right? I don't know if you've seen his, his, it's always good news. News nowadays is always so terrible. Um, But it's always the, the sweet stories of some kindness. And he goes, travels all around and he talks about stories of a, you know, an aging grandfather who meets a little four-year-old girl at the market and they become friends and they, you know, just these stories that will make you tear up sometimes. But just watching the story makes me feel good. And we go up to the Bible and we read the story of God's kindness. God comes to Jacob and Jacob hears the story and you could, uh, hears his voice. You could imagine in this story that he is in awe. That loving voice again, God is calling me again. And we have all been there. Maybe it's been a few years. Maybe it's been, man, we had that experience back when I was young and maybe a little more naive with God. And it's been a while, but all of a sudden you say, oh, here is God. And our hearts melt within us. When we experienced this, they did a study. They lined up a bunch of babies and they had them look at a scenario and to determine if they understand kindness. And they would have a person struggling uh, to go uphill, to climb a hill, and they would have one figure come out that would hinder the person, that would push him down, and the person cannot make it up. And the other study was now a helper. The helper would push that person up and help them get to the story. They say babies as young as six months knew, and they all preferred the helper, not the hinderer. 
It is ingrained within us that there's something about kindness that affects us. And the ultimate picture of kindness is God's grace to you and me. That he loves you. That he is kind to you. That he is faithful in this way. And so we see here a picture of kindness. God is kind to Jacob. He's been kind to him for decades of his life. And he's guided him to this point where he will now change his name to Israel. And he will continue what he is doing through this sinner. The kindness of God. The second thing we see about God is God draws us, draws near to us. God draws near to us. The terebinth tree was a meeting place. It was a place where you would go and meet others. It was a place where idol worshipers would offer their sacrifices to their gods. It was a meeting place. The tree was a meeting place. God himself is the one that draws us us closer to him. We meet God. Here's a story of the encounter. It says here in chapter 35, verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again. Let's just pause there before we get to that long, difficult name. All right, let's just stop there. God appeared to Jacob again. God appeared to Jacob again. This is the third time. He comes to him. He draws him. He, God visits him. There is an encounter. There is a, a visit in this way he shows up. I think there is so much significance here. The power of presence. There is nothing like being there in person. Being there in thought, being there in spirit, does not compare to being there in person. God shows up again. God draws him into his presence. There's an article that I read called Just Show Up. And in it, I just want to just read a little bit. This lady writes, Go to your friend's mother's memorial, even though it's a two-hour drive away. Go to retirement parties and milestone birthday parties. Drive your friend to her chemo appointment and sit with her afterwards. Show up. Show up. The value of presence. Yesterday, I uh, was at two funerals. Uh, Some of us, I, I saw some familiar faces at both. In the morning, we said our farewell to our dear sister, Sugi, in a very uh, beautiful ceremony, uh, and the tributes and everything. In the afternoon, uh, one of our other dear sisters, Lily, had passed away, and they had both been fighting cancer. They were spending a whole day um, going to that. And I was talking with my wife and on the way back from the morning, and we were talking about kind of a sense of regret, Oh, man, I wish we would have had more time. I wish we could have eaten together. I wish we could have gotten to know. I wish we could have uh, had more fun together. I wish we could have had more time. I wish we could have been more present. And that's the regret that we hear often. I wish I could have been there. I heard that in the afternoon as well. I wish we had more time. I wish we did more. God appears to Jacob God comes to us. You know, in this, this is his final appearance to Jacob. And his name is changed to Israel. And from this point on, God changes his mode of appearing. You know, uh, Joseph is through dreams and Moses barely gets to see the backside of God. He hears the voice of God. Uh, but it is very different. This is an intimate visit. He is there 
He is present. One commentator notes how he now comes, and it was a very needed time. As I mentioned before, he had lost three of the people closest to him. And as he is brokenhearted, God visits him. The familiar voice calls out to him by his name and the comfort and strength he must have received. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 18, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirits. It comes in this way. We learn from our God. We learn that we ought to be like him. There is nothing that can replace the power of presence. There's been a, a bunch of uh, other pandemics in history. We've just gone through it. And the difficult time was this awkward time that we had um, that seemed to last forever where we're now outside the door, 10 feet away, saying hi and, and not being able to uh, hug or touch or that accidental handshake you have with someone and they look like they might be a COVID carrier. I don't, you know, like they, just, he just looks like he might have it, right? And, oh, gosh. Um, and, oh, I just touched my nose, right? And we had these awkward times. But it changes us. It affects us. In the 14th century, when the plague hit Florence, Giovanni Boccaccio writes about this plague. And he says this, Tedious were it to recount how citizens avoided citizens, how kinfolk held aloof and never met. What is more, and scary to be believed, fathers and mothers were found to abandon their own children, untended, unvisited to their fate. In the 17th century, when the epidemic broke out in London, uh, Daniel Defoe reports about that time. He says, this is a time where everyone's private safety lay so near them, they had no room to pity the distresses of others. The danger of immediate death to ourselves took away all bonds of love, all concern for one another. In the 17th century in Venice, they report how health workers searched the city, identified plague victims, shipped them off to an isolated quote-unquote hospital where two-thirds of them perished. And maybe this has changed us as well. Uh, maybe the last three years have made us people that uh, stick with the ones we want to stick with, see the people we want to see, neglect the stranger, neglect the acquaintance, avoid showing up in person. But this is yet the good news of who Jesus Christ is. This is why he is called Emmanuel. And when the Christmas party happens, when the Christmas scene happens and there is that party, when his name is called Emmanuel, God is with us. The joy of his name, of his title. God is with us, the incarnation of Christ, a wonderful doctrine. The Son taking on human form and visiting us. He is present. There is nothing like Physical presence. God is present with us. Thirdly is God sanctifies us in the journey. We are all in the process here, right? The terebinth tree is known to have roots that run deep. It is a famous tree because even if there is a drought, it can still draw water because the roots, the hidden roots are so deep. It still produces fruit. 
Jacob finally comes to his senses. God's been chasing him for decades. And he comes to his senses and he now gives up all the things that belong to the other gods or idols. It says in verse 2 of our text, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that were among you and purify yourselves. Change your garments. He was now totally devoted to the one true God. They all along the journey picked up all the different hodgepodge of different idols, good luck charms, and things that might help them and prosper them. And they were carrying all these things, wearing clothes devoted to idols, wearing earrings that were devoted to idols. And they had little idols, and they, he says, bring them all here. And it tells us in verse 4, So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. They are changed. Jacob is changed. It's this journey. It took 20 plus years, but the journey with God changes him. God is in the business of changing you. Today's culture says, no, you be you. We want to accept you, and that's what love is. No, but the biblical love is, no, God changes you. Speaks of newness and new creation, that you are made new, you are transformed, the transformation of your mind. God is in the work of changing you. Theologians call this sanctification. You ought to be growing more holy like Him. And so the journey makes a difference. We get so caught up sometimes in just getting to the destination. So Christianity isn't a ticket to heaven and I live as I please and the gospel is free, and I just get to heaven. Christianity is the gospel living out today in my life. God is still working. God is in process, and He is working in me, through me. He is getting rid of the bad, and He is now magnifying the good, and He's teaching me how to live, how to walk, how to talk. He is working within me. And so when I'm a Christian, and it's, I've been a Christian 10 years, I ought to be more mature than I was and I have more if it's 20 years. And it is a journey, but we get so caught up in the destination of this all. You know, and God influences him. God the Holy Spirit influences us and sanctifies and changes us in this way. Um, it's interesting, you know, that says here, uh, Romans 2, 4, or do you presume on the riches of kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? I think all of these encounters and God's gracious generosity towards Jacob changed him. His kindness led him to repentance. And he now goes and buries all these things. And he now is at the house of God at Bethel. Verse 35, uh, chapter 35, verse 5 says, They journeyed. This word journeyed, nasay, is used just in Genesis and Exodus 22 times, 146 times throughout the whole Bible. The idea of a journey God puts people on. So whether it was on the road to Emmaus where Jesus reveals himself slowly or 40 years in the wilderness where God teaches Moses and his people, it's not about the destination, but it is walking with him daily. And today, let me ask you, 
How is God working in you? What is God teaching you? I remember one of Chris's, uh, when she was, uh, uh, you know, maybe ninth grade, eighth grade, her volleyball coach was this old school guy. He was in his 60s, and I liked him a lot. He was not there to be their friend or to talk with them, obviously, and he was an old school guy, and he would teach him. And the one thing he kept saying, and I really liked it, is it's not about the game. It's about the practice. And at first I thought, that makes no sense. He's like, don't, you know, it doesn't matter if we win or lose, you know, for a bunch of 14-year-old girls. It doesn't matter. It's about the practice. And after a while, I got it. I said, it is about the practice. It doesn't matter how many minutes you play the games. It's about the practice. You're here to practice. The practice is more valuable. If you're going to miss anything, miss the game. And he would continually harp on that towards the kids. Now, a bunch of young teenage girls, I don't know how much of that got through. But yet, it was so true. It is about the practice. It is about the daily lives and how God works and changes us. You know, it's interesting because one commentator notes, this is this big moment that he's been waiting for, right? To now be crowned because his dad had just died. And you remember, he had deceived his father, he had deceived his brother to receive the blessing, to be in charge. He was going to be the one, the head of the household. And then after this, he is not mentioned anymore, barely. Nothing says about him being the patriarch. So he thought it was about the patriarch becoming the patriarch, but what he failed to see is that it was the journey along the way that God used. And the whole time, 20 plus years ago, he's thinking, if I can be king, if I could be the head of the household, if I can give orders, wouldn't life be great? And he is looking to that, looking to that. It's not even mentioned. All of a sudden, the rest of the book goes to Joseph and, and his life. He's irrelevant. So it wasn't the destination that mattered so much. It was now the process. You know, when we were younger, we don't even do this anymore, right? But when we were younger, you go on a road trip and you ask your parents, how much further? And they would lie to you all the time, right? I was lied to a, hundred, a million times. We're almost there, right? Because we were ignorant. How much? Five minutes. It's been 10 minutes, all right? It's been 30 minutes. Hey, just five more minutes. I tried that. It doesn't work. I said, Dad, it's on the screen. Our ETA is already on there. It's 42 minutes. Why do you say five? Okay, quiet, all right? We get caught up and where we're going to go, but it's how we go. Your everyday life matters. Every day you walk with the Lord matters. Um, he is working in you and through you as he did with Jacob. The last thing we see about God is his God is steadfast. A quality that is often overlooked. And yet, man, as you grow older, you realize this steadfastness of a person is the quality I cherish the most. I was just thinking about John and John as they came up and shared. You know, these guys have been serving at our church. Like John, uh, Pastor John had spent now, it's just had his 10th year. And I was kind of reminiscing with him a few weeks back. I said, I remember that when you first came? And yeah, you like this, you know, just seminary student with a bad tie and a bad haircut. And he came and he preached. And we took him out to a Chinese lunch special. I remember in Brea, and we were talking to him. Now he's father, husband, 
Um, he, I get more compliments about his sermon than my own sermon from people. You know, Pastor John, right? He's been at church from day one. He was single, didn't know exactly what was going to happen and started serving the Lord. The steadfastness. Steadfastness of God we see here. His words don't change. His character doesn't change. When you read this, he keeps repeating the same thing to each generation. I will be your God. You will be my people. The people change, but he doesn't. You know, a terebinth tree will outlive you, most likely. If you've ever planted a tree... If you planted trees in your home, we planted a couple of trees in our front yard after the old ones had, uh, got diseased and we had to uproot it and plant new ones and they were just so weak. We had to put the sticks in and tie it so that it wouldn't topple over when it got windy. And as the seasons have gone and they have now grown bigger and bigger, these uh, maple trees, and uh, when spring comes, I get all the compliments from our neighbors, you know, they say, oh, these are beautiful trees and they're solid. And I think about it, those trees are going to probably outlive me. They will be at this house longer than me. And it's, Jacob looked at the terebinth tree. And they say the oldest one, uh, according to tree experts, right? The oldest one is 500 years old in Italy. You go to a tree and you say, this tree has been here before me, will probably be here after me, and it doesn't move. It's here. This is the picture of God. Listen to the steadfastness in what God says. This is all words that we've heard over and over. Genesis 35, 10. God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God says, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation, and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land I, that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give you the land to your offspring after you. This is the same message. He does not change. This is what theologians call the immutability of God. God doesn't change. We change, our culture changes, our times change, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this about him. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. In the original language, the word order is actually different. Um, the New American Standard has it better when it says, Faithful is he who calls you. To emphasize this quality about God. Faithful is he who calls you. Be steadfast. And the admonition we get from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Steadfast literally means to be seated. When you are sitting, you are not moving. You are stationary. Be steadfast, be seated. And he now tells us, don't go back and forth. Don't follow your own dreams and wishes. Be steadfast, be firm. I give advice, unsolicited advice to my daughters right, I, about who they should marry. And I go down the list. It's unsolicited because it's not like they ever asked me, Dad, you know. They're looking at BTS, like, which one should I marry? I'm like, none, right? 
So I say, and I give this advice half jokingly, half serious. I always tell them, you need to marry a boring guy. And they say, oh my gosh. I say, no, no fun guy that's all about dreaming and passion and this. Boring. Boring is good. Boring, he goes to work, he'll have the same job, and he will do it till he retires. Boring, wearing the same outfit. No dreamer, right? No guy that chases his passion and no, 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 uh, let's stay away. No BTS, right? Like, come on, like just boring. Like we need, come on, boring. I don't know if it gets through. I shared this at our teacher service. All those who were near my age were all nodding their head in seriousness. All the moms, oh yeah, mm, 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 mm. Right? Why? Because this is a quality that is now predictable. All of you, all of our sisters, man, you marry some boring guys. Like a lot of our brothers are very boring, and I, I, that's the best part of them. So times when you say, God, why is my husband so boring? No, no. Thank you, God, that he is kind of boring and gets to work. That's it. Wears the same outfit, same hair since he was fourth grade. God, thank you for that. All right? Don't try to change him. It's okay. All right? This is the Aesop's fable about the tortoise and the hare. Which one wins? The boring tortoise, right? That plugs away every day. Not the dreamer hare that's jumping around. Right? And this is the quality, in all seriousness, this is the quality of God. The terebinth tree that's been there, that will outlast. And so it is worth now me going to, he buries Rebecca at a tree. They bury their treasures there. It's a place of meeting. It's a place where they remember God's steadfastness. And as we think about the tree, we think about the tree that our Lord Jesus hung on, and it says in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The cross of Jesus Christ, the terebinth, the tree that he hung on, now shows his presence to us, his kindness to us, his sanctifying power to change those who will follow his steadfast love towards us. And so we cannot hear enough about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It changes us. The love that does not change from God changes us. So we hold on to him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are so faithful in this way. You are so faithful when we are faithless. You will do it when we fail and forget. How Jacob must have felt when he heard your voice. How his heart must have moved. And he must have thought of how patient you were. And Lord God, we think of the same today. That you are with us. So we thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.